Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast on Beachhead Media with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a chaplain, a professor, a writer, and a speaker, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. So on this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Gilman, and today we're going to be talking about living on less. As Western culture continues to drift farther and farther from Christ, and therefore from his laws, there's going to be consequences. And one of the first consequences that we see is economic challenges. It becomes harder and harder to buy homes. People have a difficulty paying for their groceries or even to build wealth. And so we want to dive into this today to help you think Christianly. Many people have not been taught how to think clearly or Christianly about this. They're just more informed by the culture that they grow up in. But first, we want to share some really good news with you that we've heard today about the federal court. Uh, And so they've made a decision about the invocation of the Emergencies Act. I'm going to not steal all the thunder on that. I'll pass it over to Aaron. You want to share with us what the good news is? Absolutely. So two weeks ago when we did our last podcast, we actually talked about corruption in law enforcement, corruption in the judiciary, which is very basically a result of drifting away from from the laws of God and and commitments to to justice. Well, this week we got some great news that a federal judge uh, in our country ruled that the Emergencies Act, not that the Emergencies Act was illegal, but that the invocation of the Emergencies Act applied to the protests in Ottawa and at various border crossings was in fact illegal. So that's a wonderful thing. You know, I want to say to our people, it brings to mind immediately the parable of the persistent widow who was put in front of an unjust judge. He wouldn't listen to her case. There have been very little wins in our country up till now, but we've persisted. Various legal organizations have persisted. Various advocates have persisted, and we at least now have a win. doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate into payments, Mm-hmm. or reparations necessarily, and I'm sure it will be appealed by the feds, mm-hmm. but it's a win for now, and we're excited about that. The Emergencies Act invocation was declared illegal. Of course, we already knew it was immoral, those of us that saw the the true mm-hmm. story uh, unfolding, but there's a few things I want to comment on. First of all, I want to commend the judge. I want to commend the judge. Um, I want to commend him for his humility. I think that's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. In his ruling, he admitted that he probably would have voted in favor of the Emergencies Act had he been in parliament or in a position of power. He originally thought it was probably reasonable, and when he heard the evidence, he changed his mind. Mm -hmm. Oh, if we could only get more pastors and more Christians who sided with the state during the pandemic to also exercise that kind of humility— under Christ, that would be a wonderful thing. So I want to just publicly commend him for that. Mm-hmm. We have a good man on the bench there. Now, most likely the benefits won't be um, immediate. One of the benefits, I think there's two benefits that will arise from it. One would be the feds are going to think twice about doing this again. Mm-hmm. And let's keep in mind, too, that our own premier here in the province of Ontario sided uh, with him, with the federal government. Um, and also it makes the feds look bad. So that's going to probably have implications for um, a future election. So I think those are both uh, benefits, and we can rejoice, at least for the moment, yeah. that there's been uh, a, a little bit of a win uh, in the courts, and we want to commend all the great lawyers and organizations mm-hmm. that were 
were a part of that. And we would encourage uh, those of you that are listening, if you know of some of these not-for-profit legal organizations that are involved in these processes, donate to them, support them, uh, so they can do this this great work in our country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, legal organizations like that, sometimes their work goes quietly on in the background. I, many people probably weren't even aware that there were these applications going through. So good news, yep. something to celebrate. Mm-hmm. So our main to- topic today is on living on less. Yep. Introduce that to us, why this topic now? Well, we, we acknowledge that uh, people that are listening to this show are coming to the show from all different stages of life. We have senior citizens that may be on pensions or government pensions. We have teenagers that are living under their parents' roofs and having many of their expenses covered. We have young couples that are just starting out, singles that are trying to uh, make it in their careers and perhaps save it for a house. So everyone is at a different stage in life. And I recognize there's a lot of variables. Okay, we don't want to be don't want to be too cookie cutter about this. There's a lot of income levels to consider. One needs to consider their own assets, their own equity. But I'm primarily directing my comments to those who are just starting out or who are in what I would call the building years. So you're you're building wealth. You've probably finished school or finished trade school. You now have a job. You're starting to build wealth and eventually you want to perhaps own a home and and find financial stability. I want to talk to that group. And if you're not in that group, please don't turn the channel. I want to share some things with you that you can pass on to people that are in that group in your circle of influence. Maybe you have children in that group or grandchildren in that group, or you're a little on the young side and you're going to be entering into that group soon. So I want to direct most of my comments to those who are in what I would call the building years, establishing a household, getting rid of debt, et cetera. The reason why I wanted to do this podcast, there's several things, there's several things that were, were on my mind. My wife and I were actually chatting about this, and she sort of put the original idea in my mind. Mm-hmm. So there's there's several things that um, are going on. First of all, we live in an unstable economy. We live in an unstable economy. Uh, we are governed by incompetence. In Canada, our debt exceeds our GDP. So our gross domestic product, that which we produce. So our debt exceeds our gross domestic product. To put it maybe in a different frame, uh, Canada as a whole owes over $30,000 in debt per person. Mm. So per man, woman, and child. So the, the, the Canadian government has debt, has accumulated debt on your behalf. How in the world can we expect to pay that off? So we live in an indebted country. That's a problem. House prices are through the roof. I went on realtor.ca, which is our our realtor search software here in Canada, and I went to the neighborhood where I bought my first house. In 1997, I bought a house, and I paid $97,500 for it. It was a two-story house with three bedrooms and two bathrooms and about 100, I think it was a 110-foot lot by 30. Mm -hmm. Um, The house was probably 80 or 90 years old at the time. Very solid uh, needed some lipstick and rouge to spruce it up, but it was a good house. And we lived there for, for four and a half years before we, we church planted. Now, just to put that in perspective, my salary at the time was $33,000. Wow. So if I were to save a hundred percent of my salary, I, which I wasn't able to do, obviously, uh, the, the ratio of house value to income was roughly time, a multiple of three. Hmm. Now, I went online, so this is 1997, so we're, we're 
uh, we're well over 25 years, uh, 26 years from that now. Um, that same house, uh, th that house is not for sale, but I looked at some comparables in that area, are going for around 400 and change. Mm -hmm. So the, the value of that house has gone up fourfold. The income has not gone up fourfold. Mm -hmm. Uh, doing what I was doing at that church downtown, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be getting a hundred and you know thirty thousand uh, dollars in in pay for sure from from that position. So we have a fourfold. Just to use that as an example, and I think the ratio probably is similar in other parts of the country. We have a fourfold increase in the cost of that house, and maybe maybe on the high end a doubling, but I don't think it's even quite that a doubling of of income levels. Mm -hmm. So you can see now that a lot of young couples. Or people that are coming into the house buying market are are, are concerned, mm -hmm. and that's not uh, a result of just some guy in a lumberyard deciding he's going to charge more for two by fours to build your house. That's a result of incompetent people running our country and all the different economic problems that they've created for us. So we have that problem. Secondly, some of the prime jobs that former generations would have considered to be awesome cash cow jobs, working for the government, working for big corporations, those were the jobs people looked for. If I could work for a big hospital and I'm a nurse, if I could work for you know IBM or Apple or some big corporation, you know they, they have uh, standardized hiring processes, they're very fair, the pay is usually pretty good, there's a retirement package attached to it. Well, unfortunately, almost all these institutions have been hijacked by the woke elite. And they will require you to sign off on their woke agenda. Whether you're in professional sports, you're in accounting, you're um, uh, working in a, 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 the tech industry, you're working in education, the pressure upon people to fly the gay flag or to uh, sign off on the DEI, uh, you know, the diversity, equity, inclusion nonsense, the Marxism essentially is incredibly difficult. So a lot of people, I think, just feel very vulnerable uh, in their finances. Like, when's the hammer going to drop? The third thing is, we live under tyranny, totalitarian uh, statism. During the the protests, we saw the government very quickly freeze bank accounts. And I think this ruling that came out lot, uh, earlier this week, by the way, was insightful because it mentioned. One of the, the qualms the judge had is when they froze the bank accounts of, let's say, someone who was at the Ottawa protest, well, that might be a joint account with his wife or his children. So suddenly the rest of the family is thrown under the bus and doesn't have access to their, their own funds. Hmm. So this scares people. And we live in a broken world. We're not going to fix it uh, of our own strength. We need to pray that the Lord would, would um, do his work. The, the persistent widow was, first and foremost, a prayer warrior. And we need to pray that God would do what we can't do and that God would change hearts. But that's how I do this podcast. Unstable economy, mm -hmm. prices going through the roof, massive inflation, massive debt, working for those big corporations, not to say that you shouldn't work for them, but you got to your, – your sense of um, – uh, security certainly has been undermined. Mm -hmm. And so you got to make sure you're not assuming that the job you have today is going to be the same job that you have uh, tomorrow. And then at any point in time, the tyrants could take your possessions, your land, your wealth, 
And while we can't fully insulate ourselves from that, there's some mm -hmm. basic things that we could do to help protect ourselves. Yeah. So we don't obviously want to dumb down this podcast and assume people know nothing, but at the same time, it's hard to assume what level of knowledge they have. So maybe what would you say are some of the most basic building blocks of financial stewardship? We could start there and then build out. Yeah. So there's, there's three. The first one, and I, and I taught these to my children uh, when they were very young. The first is uh, you have to give of your first fruits. So if you're not marked by generosity, if you're waiting to pay off all your debt and pay off all your bills before you become a generous person, I don't think the Lord's going to bless you. The math may not make sense, but there's a spiritual dynamic here. So whether you are a student taking out student loans, um, but maybe working a part-time job or a young couple, it doesn't matter. You should always be committed to tithing, offerings, and almsgiving. We're not going to spend the majority of our time on that, but I wanted to throw that out. But more germane to our topic, uh, living within your means is very, very important, and that's going to require a budget. So living within your means, being able to track your income and your expenses. Mm -hmm. And basic math, your income has to be higher to or equal to your expenses. And then the third thing is saving for necessary capital expenditures. So at some point, you buy a house, you buy a car, some sort of a large item that you know, takes a, a little bit of collateral. We want to talk about how to do that. Now, financial advisors, so I think, I, I appreciate financial advisors, but my advice is not going to fall into the realm of professional financial advice. I'm going to give you some very practical, Joe Blow, uh, take home, you can use it today kind of advice. Are investments wise? Yes, but they're not the first thing you can be doing. If you're carrying debt, and you can't even put groceries in the table, the last thing you need to be doing is investing in the stock market. Retirement savings are important too. Life flies by. Maybe you've decided that you want to follow the path of most Western people and retire at some point in time. Um, by the way, retirement is an, a, a post-biblical construct. So we're obviously, if you physically can't work, then you're going to have to quote-unquote retire. I'm not so sure that retirement is entirely a biblical thing, uh, even if you retire from a paycheck, you should always be working in some way, shape, or form. God has called us to work six days and rest on the seventh. He has not called us to work 30 years and then rest for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I think a lot of Christians, if I could just say this, fritter away some of the best years of their lives, are bored out of their minds because they retired and have no plan. You know who you are. So investment and retirement savings are important. But they are not as basic as these first three things that I've mentioned. They are not as basic. So the most basic things are not investments. The most basic things are giving of your first fruits, mm -hmm. living within your means, and saving for capital expenditures. Those are the most basic, basic, basic aspects mm -hmm. of financial management. We're going to focus on the second two. So let's talk about living within your means. So living within your means, really, really important. Let me say this. Most of what you buy, if you think about it, you don't actually even need it. Most of what you buy, you don't need. You may think you need it. It may be incomprehensible for you not to have these things. But you don't need the majority of the things that you spend your money on if you were like the average Canadian. Let me throw some things out to you. You do not need new clothes. Would you like to have them? Yes. Do I hope you can get some? Sure, that'd be great. But you do not need new clothing. You do not need a cell phone. It's like, <gasps> didn't they have them in the Garden of Eden? No, those are a relatively recent invention. You do not need a cell phone. 
you do not need vacations. I was like, really? I don't need vacations? Are you aware that people for centuries survive without vacations? Again, I'm not opposed to them, but you do not need vacations. You do not need to eat out. You do not need to eat out. You do not need pets. Pets are a wonderful thing, especially for in the lives of children. They, there's a lot of lessons that you can learn from uh, owning a pet, but you do not need pets. You do not need a gym membership. A gym membership uh, you know, can be a great benefit for people wanting to lose weight, but if you think about it, much of gym memberships revolve around the fact that people wasted money in the first place by eating too much, by accumulating too many calories, and now they're just dumping them out of the bench press. So you do not need a gym membership. You do not need Netflix. You do not need life insurance. It's wise if you have life insurance, if you have debt, or if you have children, but it is not a necessity. Mm. So if you if you were to step back and write out a list of your expenses and ruthlessly ask yourself the question, what do I actually need? You would conclude this. What you only really, really need at the end of the day is clothing, food, and shelter. Mm-hmm. Clothing, food, and shelter. Now, almost everyone in our culture has some money available for the extras that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone. But they don't do a good job necessarily in prioritizing these things. They literally think their cell phone is as important as a grocery bill. Mm-hmm. They're, they're so convoluted in their thinking. They think their gym membership is more important than their tithe. It's it's insane. They, they can't imagine not having vacation funds when they haven't even bought a house yet. Well, the only thing you really, really, really need is clothing, food, and shelter. So on your spreadsheet, and everyone should have one, on your spreadsheet where you list your expenditures, at the top should be your tithes, offerings, and alms, and then you prioritize down from there. You need to have your clothing, food, and shelter expenses, and then below that is all the rest of the stuff. Hmm. So I suggest writing a budget and organizing your expenditures literally by order of importance. The bottom being the ones you'd cut first, the top being the ones you'll cut last. So your first fruits at the top and the things you don't actually need near the bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. And if things get tight, you pair from the bottom of the budget sheet up. You don't pair from the top of the budget sheet down, which yeah. is the temptation, yeah. right? Ties go first. You don't, you don't pair from the top down. You pair from 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 the bottom up. Many people think of budgeting as uh, restrictive. You know, budget is like, oh, you're stealing my freedom. No, 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 no. Budgeting is to be in control of your life. And when you're in control, you feel more free. So a budget allows you to track in writing your income and your expense expenses uh, expenditures and to prioritize them and uh, if you if you do the hard thinking on this you'll discover that many many of the things that you're spending money on so if you're in your building years you want to build wealth you're like oh it's going to take me forever to build my wealth enough to buy a house but you're going on exotic vacations you're driving new cars uh, you're already purchasing life insurance you're investing in the stock market you're spending money at the gym you're eating out you're buying uh, coffee out. Well, you're being foolish. Uh, there's m- much better ways to prioritize your life. And I think past generations knew this. So if you look at my grandma, grandmother, uh, my grandma Smith, she was a Smith in England, my, my only uh, grandmother stri- straight from Europe. Uh, she lived through World War II as a probably 15 through 19 year old, or I guess she'd be a little younger than that, 13 to 19, then got married to a Canadian soldier and came to Canada. 
Well, when you lived through the war, you saved everything. You didn't mm-hmm. throw out tin foil. You wiped it off. You dried it off. You folded it up. You you clipped the milk bag. You used the milk. You saved the bag, right? Mm-hmm. So they lived through those hard times where you you um, saved everything. You didn't just throw stuff out. In my generation, so I was born in 73, it was still very common for moms to put patches on jeans mm-hmm. uh, before it was cool to have holes in them. Yep. And to... Um, uh, go to the thrift store uh, to get clothes from other people in the church or community who had kids that were older and out, had outgrown them. It was very rare for us to eat out, very rare. Maybe a couple times a year, my dad or my uncle would take me to um, Tim Horton's Coffee and Donuts. And we, in those days, there was no drive through so we'd walk in and we'd buy a dozen donuts or whatever. Very, very rarely. Now there's people that drive through that drive through every day and they're like 16 and 17 and they think that's perfectly normal. They're spending two, three, four, five dollars a day at Starbucks or Tim Hortons or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. They think that's normal. They eat out every week, sometimes multiple times uh, a week. So I want to challenge us to think a little bit more old school. We're in a crisis. The economy's garbage. Uh, corporations have gone woke. Uh, you may not be working for them starting tomorrow if they take issue with your your worldview. And um, we have a stewardship issue. We are mm-hmm. called to steward our um, our wealth. So that's kind of uh, some, some preliminary thoughts I have. Yeah. So just one quick personal story, because I don't know if you would remember this, but <clears throat> my wife and I moved to Windsor 12-ish years ago now. And when we came, I can remember setting up our home and talking to you, Aaron, and you saying, like you probably don't need internet or anything. And me thinking like, I need it like my right hand. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> There's no way I wouldn't get internet. Just, it's so much a part of even my worldview at that time to think a house without internet. And that was 12 years ago. So okay. how much more yeah, so? Yeah, I don't recall that. That's yeah. such a funny, anyways, it was good. We ended up getting internet because we prioritized it higher than other things. But uh, it is, it's such an interesting thing. Just the, you grow up in a world where what is normal may not be healthy or may not even be financially responsible, sure. right? Um, okay, so if you were to offer the top two or three most relevant financial principles for this generation, what would they be? So aside from giving, I would say that you, we need to encourage people to act their age, and that's going to require them to delay their gratification. Mm-hmm. A lot of young couples want to act like, so if, let's say you're married at 25. you got a 25-year-old guy, 25-year-old girl. A lot of them want to act like they're 50. Or they're sixty. When they go on vacations, it's uh, you know always it always involves uh, an airplane and um, a lot of money, and it's not necessarily wise. Again, I'm not at the beginning. I said there's all different variables. Mm-hmm. People come from different wealth structures, but I'm just helping those that really maybe feel a little bit tight and want to advance to rethink their decisions. Act your age. People at 25 should be acting differently than people at 45. People at 45 should act differently than people at 65, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You need to act your age. And that means that you do not have the liberties in your younger years that 60-year-old people do. You have to delay their gratification. You have to delay gratification. Mm-hmm. So we have a park. We are talking about this in staff meeting. And I said, you know, a lot of young people want to go to, let's say, Florida on their vacation. I said, when we were your age, we'd go to Jackson Park, which is uh, a park here in Windsor. So someone made the joke, yeah, uh, we need to take a walk to Jackson Park instead of a flight to Jacksonville. 
until you're debt-free at least. So if you're debt-free and you've established yourself, okay, those are the time to maybe look at those overseas vacations. Susie and I have had the opportunity in our uh, more established years to visit Ireland and England and these sorts of places, and we've quite enjoyed that. But I wouldn't have dreamed of spending five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars on a vacation if I was still saving up a down payment for a house. In fact, my first down payment for my house was just a tad under five thousand bucks, and then and then I had to save a couple thousand on top of that for 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 uh, legal fees. So mm -hmm. I think I needed sixty nine hundred bucks. Hmm. 26 years ago to buy buy my first house. Well, good luck buying one for less than 50 or 100 or $150,000 saved up. Mm. And uh, so you need to act, act your age. Don't be afraid of delaying gratification. And uh, living frugally, uh, living within your means, being a tightwad when you're younger. And then as you build wealth and your your house starts to get paid off, your, your, de your debts are cleared up, then you can take those extra funds and do some of those more fun and exciting things. Secondly, I would just say, don't take on debt that is unsubstantiated. So what I mean by that is when you buy, let's say a piece of real property, a physical asset, a, a piece of land, a, a piece of land with a house on it, a, a, a condominium, a townhouse, that's what I would call real property. We call it real estate, mm -hmm. it's real. And that is generally an appreciating asset, meaning that it goes up in value. It may drop by the year, but over time, land values increase. They don't decrease. And taking on debt, so borrowing money from someone to purchase a piece of land or purchase a house is, is a normal function for most people. Mm -hmm. We'll discuss why I think that's reasonable debt momentarily. But when you take on debt to buy a car, which is a depreciating asset, when you drive it off the lot, it drops in value. It starts to get rust on it. Things start to break down. It mm -hmm. starts to cost you eventually more money per month to fix it than it does to you know, buy a new one. Mm -hmm. When you go to school and you take on debt for something that's immaterial, like education, I would just say don't do it. Plan up, work, work part-time, go to school part-time. Ask, uh, ask your parents for an early inheritance. Uh, delay your education. Pick a different career. Uh, do not take on debt. Do not put money on your credit card that you cannot pay off at the end of the month. I would even say don't put money on your credit card that you do not present tense have money in the bank to pay yeah, for. Yeah, for sure. So it's not even just, well, I think I'm going to have money to pay it off by the end of the month. No. If you're going to put 100 bucks on your credit card, you need to have $100 in the bank right away. And I would recommend going on that day or within a few days and just paying it off. Mm -hmm. So you're not accumulating debt on that. So do not take on debt. Pay it off right now. If you've gone into debt, stop going into debt. Stop going into debt. Become frugal. Just prioritize your clothing, your shelter, your, your food, and put every dime, every dollar you can on your debt. To my own shame, I was not raised in a home that taught me how to handle money at all. I had no idea until I was actually just married. And I sat down with a financial advisor and he gave me the, the basic building blocks. And I'm like, this is genius. Why did someone not yeah. tell me this before? And it's so simple. So Susie and I, even in Bible college, had taken out student loans, which I think is ter a terrible idea. Hmm. And we would bought a little car and we had some money on that. But as soon as I realized, man, I, I can pay this stuff off. That's a benefit. I would drive... 
we didn't have online banking. So I would go to the bank two or three times a week. If I had 100 bucks, 80 bucks, 60 bucks, mm-hmm. I would beeline it to the bank and I would put that money down and I would I we paid all that off within a couple of years. And that has been a blessing to us uh, mm-hmm. ever since. Write it down. Do not be a lazy bum. Write down your income and your expenditures. Prioritize them. Do not take on debt, especially now. Mm-hmm. Do not yeah. take on debt. See if you t- so t- with regard to a house. So let's say you you um, purchase a house and you you want to purchase it for its its actual value. You don't want to purchase it during a, a, a spike. You purchase it for its actual value, and let's say two years later you you can't pay it anymore. You 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 lose your job. Okay, well that's not such a big deal because you just sell the house and you pay the bank back and you walk away. Mm-hmm. The problem is if you buy a house that is overvalued, um, or you um, you know buy a house and um, do a whole bunch of improvements on it, like over improve it beyond its its potential. So I had a friend once that bought a tiny little lunchbox house, lunchbox house in an older area of town and put granite counters everywhere and fancy flooring in and you know he just really did this thing up to the nines but it was still a thousand square foot house. Yeah. So it's a- And he could never get his money back out of it. Yep. And he lost his shirt on the thing. So you don't want to improve a house beyond its its potential future sale price either. You got to kind of measure that out. Mm-hmm. So that kind of debt I don't have a big problem with because you can just liquidate the debt by selling off the asset. Mm-hmm. But if you decide, well, I have to have a brand new car because I'm all thumbs. I don't even know how to check the tire pressure. I got to buy a brand new car. You know, I, I got to commute to work. I want the thing to have a warranty on it and be, you know, top of the line. And you drive it off the car lot and suddenly it's worth, you know, 75% of what you paid for it. And then the next day your boss gives you your walking papers, mm-hmm. you lose your job. Well, then you're stuck with the thing. Yep. And no one's going to pay you the full price for it because it's got 100 kilometers on it. Mm-hmm. So you got to live within your means. And also that involves trusting in the Lord to provide for your daily bread, which, by the way, is in the Lord's prayer. We pray it, but do we mean it? Mm-hmm. We're asking the Lord to provide for us our daily bread. So we, we do we want to make wise decisions, but we also walk by faith. Yeah, our daily bread, not our daily sus- subscription to extra things. Yeah. <laughs> so Our daily wants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that is interesting. When you talk about living in your means, just to touch on this for a moment, living on your means according to your age, I think there might be a false idea of what that even is because you look on social media, for example, at your peers in your age group, who many, when they're posting publicly, post a part of their life that maybe isn't in actual accordance with their age bracket. The social media influencers. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, never judge people's net worth by their visible assets. Because many people have beautiful homes and beautiful cars and the bank owns all of it. Mm. And you're trying to be like them. You're like, why can't we be like them? Uh, you don't really know what people's physical assets are until, until you ask them. And of course, generally you wouldn't ask, right? They'd have to yeah. reveal that. So don't don't judge a book by its, uh, by its cover. But yeah, I, I think it requires some soul searching and some some realism and some maturity to really figure out what what is the best and wisest way to to use our uh, funds. And, and many of our views are, I think, shaped more by the world than they are by Christ. Hmm. So sometimes you'll have like the double income, no kids group, and they're flying all over the world and spending all kinds of money on vacations. Like, yeah, because we want to do that before we have kids. Well, have you paid off your house yet? It still probably isn't the best use of your money. What if What if you, you get used to, this is a real bad mistake too. What if you have uh, two incomes 
and uh, no kids, and you get used to living off of and requiring two incomes. Mm -hmm. And suddenly God gives you children, which is the natural course of life, and you should want that. That's your greatest legacy. God gives you kids. And you're like, well, once we have the kids, my wife's going to go back to work. Well, that would be a great thing. I'm not opposed to that. Proverbs 31 portrays a godly woman as a working woman. She works in the home. She works outside of the home. So if you have this view that a godly woman only only tends to domestic duties, you need to reread uh, Proverbs 31 because that's not a biblical paradigm. That comes from somewhere else. So I'm not opposed to women working outside the home. And in fact, if they have the means and ability, I would I would encourage that. But what if the Lord gives you a Down syndrome child? What if the Lord gives you a child with severe physical disabilities? That means you are at home now mm-hmm. permanently taking care of that child. What if one of you um, you know, contracts some sort of a debilitating disease? So here's the thing. It's always, always, always wise, even if you have two incomes, to live off of one. Mm-hmm. Even if you have two incomes and you're young, you're getting established, learn to live off of one. Do not make expenses that require two incomes to pay them off. Don't rent a place that requires two incomes. Don't buy a house that requires two incomes. Don't purchase cars that require two incomes. Live with in the means of one income, if possible, and then use the other income to save up for your capital expenses. And at some point in time, that second income might go away mm-hmm. because you now have children. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is we, um, you know, we start out life broke and dependent. Then we generally come into our young adult years. We start to make money. And we, we feel like we're getting ahead. And then we establish a family. We start having kids. Kids are very expensive. God bless them with their expenses, expensive. And there's a lot of years there where you, you feel like you're living on uh, a shoestring budget. Mm-hmm. But when you endure, you cherish those years, the Lord will eventually um, uh, bless you, generally speaking, with increased wealth when the kids are adults or grown or you know full-time in the local classical Christian school or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And maybe then your wife can, um, you know, go back to work uh, outside of the home and, you know, build from there. Mm-hmm. So That's good. Yeah. Okay. So very practically, let's talk about some cost-saving methods. This is going to be a ton of fun to me anyways. Uh, how can people live on less, especially in this build, the building years, and to position themselves better for the future? Right. So I feel like we're on wrong sides of the table. Yeah. Because, um, uh, <laughs> Talk to the Dutch guy. Uh, yeah, the figure. Dutch guy across the table, he uh, he probably has the first um, dollar he's ever earned framed. <laughs> but no, I, I appreciate I appreciate your um, the fact that you are frugal, but you're not cheap. Mm. And you are frugal, but you are you are a generous man. And, and that's the key. We're not talking mm. about someone that lacks generosity. But I consulted several people to add yeah. to this list. So I, I want to just blow through this quick. Here are some cost-saving methods, short-term and long-term, that I would advise advise each listener to consider that will help to literally save you money so you can live on less and you can reduce debt if you have it or you can save up for capital expenditures. Number one, these are in no particular order, but I'm just laying them out. Yeah. Learn skills. Learn skills. Don't don't be one of those pillarized people that only knows a very limited number of skills because you went to school for them. You can save a ton load of money, just basic stuff. Learn to paint. Learn to paint your house. Learn to change your own oil. Uh, learn to rotate your own tires. It, my daughter, Kasia, uh, used to change all her own oil. I, it kind of scared me at times. I'd come home, she'd have the car up on on ramps. This was before she was married, and she'd be changing her own oil, you know, as a 18-year-old girl. Learn to do those things. Mm-hmm. It, it saves you uh, money. 
Learn to cut your own grass. That's a, a basic thing. Learn to clean your own home. I'll just step out on a limb here and say, again, I, I don't begrudge people that have large homes. I think it can be a wonderful place for hospitality. But if you're not able to clean your own home by yourself and you have to hire outside help to do it, it might be that you've, you're living in too big of a house. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm not opposed to people having house cleaners that come in and help them out especially if you're doing it because you're providing employment for other people and you know you can make more money doing other things, that's fine. But sometimes people buy these monstrosity homes and they can't even maintain them so they have another expense now of cleaning their own home or they just don't know how to clean their own home. So just be careful about that. Uh, start thrifting. So thrift stores, I think, are back in style. Uh, one of the families in our church was telling me they bought their kids gift cards to the thrift store for Christmas. You know, So there's a lot of used items that you can get. If you do not have your house yet and uh, you're paying off debt, do not eat out. And I mean, like, never. Don't order in. Don't don't have the, the pizza shop on speed dial. Uh, learn to cook your own food. Preserve your own food. Here's one. Brew your own coffee. We're a coffee culture. We love our coffee. And uh, we, we, you know, we appreciate our coffee. God bless coffee. We thank you for the almighty coffee bean tree. But think about this. In today's dollar, one medium coffee, depending on where you shop, let's say it's two bucks. So it's $2 to buy a cup of coffee. And let's suppose it's your habit to buy one medium coffee every day. And you do that throughout the majority of your life. So from the age of, let's say, 18 to 80, you just you just have made a habit. You're going to spend two bucks on a cup of coffee. Well, in the course of a year, you're going to spend about 730 bucks. Just on that one purchase, on that one daily purchase, that one cup of coffee. Now, if you'd have put that $730 towards your mortgage, you'd actually be saving, let's say your interest rate is at 5%, you'd be saving 5% on $730 per year for the duration of your mortgage. So think about it this way. If, If by spending that money on coffee at the coffee shop, you've spent $730, but as a result of not being able to put that money in your mortgage, you've paid an additional 5%, that 730 actually just cost you $766 mm-hmm. in, in real money. And if you buy a cup of coffee at that rate every day throughout your adult life, you have spent $47,500 just on that one small act, yeah. which can just so easily go by. Now, most people are spending a whole lot more than two bucks a day on coffee. They're, they're ordering the donut. They're ordering the cappuccino. They're going to six bucks yep. for... Uh, their frappuccino, lapatino, whatever you might, complete with a gay flag stuck to the side for six or seven or eight bucks mm-hmm. and ordering, you know, premier desserts. So there's there's nothing wrong with, with treating yourself, but when you put things in perspective, you're like, oh my, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to be the guy that spends nearly $50,000 just on one little act of buying a cup of coffee. Maybe I need to, to brew my own. Other things you can avoid in your budget. You can avoid desserts. If you do eat out, you can avoid dessert. That's where they make the money, dessert and drinks. Smoking, alcohol, they're expensive. Mm -hmm. People buying, you know, $30, $40 bottles of wine at a liquor store, cases of beer, and they they don't even own a house yet. And these are expensive items. Like Mm -hmm. per liter, you're paying a lot of money for those quote unquote liquids, regardless whether you even drink that sort of stuff or not. Buying used cars. Buying used cars, of course, generally we all start out with some sort of a beater. That's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It teaches you to appreciate it. And then maybe you you buy a car that's a few years old or even even something as simple as 
buying a car that was previously leased from a leasing company for one year often mm-hmm. still has a ton load of warranty on it and it's yep. 40% off the sticker price or whatnot. Mm-hmm. We bought a uh, Suburban 13 years ago. I still drive it. Uh, the The purchase price the year before was $66,000 at the time. And uh, it was, I bought it at eight months old with 34,000 kilometers on it for, for 34 grand. Wow. So it was, it was almost, almost half of the sticker price. And I've got 13 years out of the thing. It has... I think 340,000 uh, kilometers on it. So buying used cars. How about this? Learning to cut hair. Now, I'll just use boys for an example. It's a little more risky cutting girls' hair. But let's say you, you're a parent, you have boys. You have th- So we had three boys. So three boys, just doing a little math here, uh, three boys times six cuts per year. You cut their hair every couple months. Maybe it would cost you 20 bucks times 17 years from the age of one to 18 that's 6120 bucks you've saved if you just go out and buy a trimmer kit. Mm-hmm. And if the trimmer kit, let's say, lasts you for five years at 30 bucks, okay, you forked out $90, you've saved $6,030 just by learning to cut your boy's hair. And here's the cool thing is, the cool thing is that one-year-old boys don't care what their hair looks like. <laughs> you can butcher the first 25 haircuts before they really realize that it looks bad. And by that time, you know, you're getting good at it. So that's another simple way that you can uh, save uh, on uh, on just mm-hmm. daily expenses. Avoiding the latest, latest gadgets, you know, those $1,000 uh, cell phones, iPhones. Go on Marketplace, go on Kijiji, buy a used one, mm-hmm. and just, you know, do, do, do those monthly plans. You don't need to be paying off a really expensive cell phone if you don't even have a house yet. I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm. Price matching groceries. There's apps like the Flip app. I don't do the grocery shopping, uh, but you know many people do. And um, I asked around. They said things like butter and veggies. You can save a lot of money on uh, on using price matching Flip apps. Learning to cook is really really important. Just learning basic meals that you can prepare f- uh, for yourself. Now groceries are expensive, so it might it might mean that. You need to even rethink where you shop. If you just shop at the big name brand grocery stores, it might cost you a lot more money than if you, you know, make a trip to, um, uh, you know, maybe a private grocery store. In Windsor, we have a couple of streets that tend to have more like Indian grocery stores or or, or Chinese grocery stores on them. And a lot of those small grocery stores run by immigrants have much lower prices per pound on food than some of the big chain uh stores. Hmm. Um, eating before you shop for groceries, you're not filling up your cart with all sorts of junk. Thinking about yourself, thinking about, yeah, I want to buy some stuff that's tasty, but how many pounds of food am I actually getting for this money? I, I It fascinates me when I, I am on rare occasion in a grocery store and I'll, I'll see, I'll kind of glance at people's grocery carts. They're often full of things like bags of chips, chips, which yeah. are half air, so yeah. they don't get crushed yeah. in transportation. Very little substantive like material food items you know very little like meat cheese you know bread or flour vegetables a lot of processed junk food which costs way more money yep. if you're paying someone to make your tv dinner you're paying them for their time their 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 effort all the extra packaging whereas if you learn to primarily buy ingredients yep uh that's important learning to if you're having people over learning to actually make your own desserts Desserts can be expensive. If I know it's trendy to go buy desserts, but learning to make desserts, first of all, they taste better, but you can save a lot of money on that as well. 
uh, canceling your streaming services, like getting rid of Netflix or Amazon. If you if you don't if you don't have a house and you're not in the process of paying that off, is it really wise you would have all these streaming services? Probably not. Learn to read a book. Uh, get an antenna, and uh, you know there's in our area you could probably get thirty or forty channels just off an antenna. If you're going to make a large purchase, thinking about it for twenty four hours. Before you purchase it, learning to make, learning to delay the gratification, mm. and then this is one you mentioned, if if possible, haggling, like negotiating, especially mm-hmm. if it's uh, you don't have to be a jerk about it, but especially if it's a used item, you can um, you know haggle and, and yeah, if you're uh, if you're buying negotiate. A, a used vehicle on marketplace and you just pay the exact price they put there, that's obviously there's negotiation room. So yeah. what I generally do is if someone is uh, actually responds and shows up. Uh, you know, I give them a deal if I'm selling it, or mm-hmm. if they respond to something I'm showing up to. Yep. Uh, I'll just pay them full price. But if they if they delay and they cause trouble and they don't show up and they rebook, then I I don't give them a deal. <laughs> and I tell <laughs> good them to that. know. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to throw out a couple more things. Um, so two of the two of the main purchases that people are going to make in their lives are their home and a series of cars. So let me talk first of all about cars because this is important. If you live in a city where you don't need a car, okay, you can use public transportation, but then you're probably woke and you're not listening to this podcast anyway. Wow. Uh, because you know all the big cities are, 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 are broke. So most of you probably have, have a car and you can't rely uh, strictly on public transportation. So here's, here's, uh, here's what I've observed. I know lots of people throughout the entire duration of their lives they they go buy a car, they take out a loan, and then they pay the car yeah. off. Then they the car breaks down, they go buy a new car, they take out a loan, they pay the car off. So they're always buying the car first, the car's in hand, payments come after. Yep. If you can get ahead just one cycle and learn to save up, then buy a car, then save up, then buy a car, then mm-hmm. save up and buy a car, and make that your pattern, you save all that interest for the 30 or 40 or 50 years you're going to be driving. So the, the idea is, is that you save up, you buy a car. As soon as that car comes home, you start stashing money away in a TFSA or whatever it might be for the next purchase and the next purchase and the next purchase. And it's just such a freeing thing when you you can drive a car on, you're like, I don't owe anything on it. Mm-hmm. So we have a newer car. We have an older Suburban. I don't owe anything on it because yep. we, we paid for those. Early on, we would do the stupid thing. We would go buy it and then pay it off, then buy it and pay it off. And you, you're paying all this extra interest on mm-hmm. on things. I was talking to a person once and they said, oh, you know, I, I have a car loan, like I still owe four or five grand, but they're offering to pay it off for me and I'll buy this new car. I said, no, they're not. They're just rolling that debt into the price of the new car. Yeah. Read the paperwork, really? So so don't be, don't be foolish, don't be duped. No one's gonna pay off your debt but you. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, you you pay off the car, and then um, you you save up. You start saving up right away for the next one, and it, it might take you five to ten years to save up, but you'll have the money to be able to pay for it uh, cash. Mm-hmm. Saving for a home. So first of all, you have to familiarize yourself with how mortgages work. A lot of people don't know how mortgages work, so I would just say this: if you don't know terms like amortization or terms or variable rates, or in Canada, if you don't know what CMHC is, you're not ready to take out a mortgage yet. Yep. So just, it doesn't take very long. You can learn this stuff in an hour. 
but go online and do some reading and figure out like how do mortgages actually work? What's the difference between amortization and a term? What is a fixed rate versus a variable rate? What's CMHC all about? Why am I paying this two, three, four, five percent in extra fees if I don't have a sizable down payment? So you need to make sure that you are um, familiar with the term so you can negotiate and you can negotiate at banks. And what the more the longer you're with a bank or credit union, the more you can negotiate. Then when you talk to banks, you say, okay, what they don't know tell you what what products they have. So you might say, okay, tell me what products they have. I'm a frugal guy. I want to make sure I pay this mortgage off quick. What are some uh, plans that they have? So the bank I used to deal with uh, when we had a mortgage, we don't have mortgages anymore, but when we did, they had this equity plan. And so what you could do is you could put a mortgage, you could register your house under a mortgage, but you could divide that up into three separate mortgages. Hmm. So for many years, I had I had three mortgage payments on one house. And the, the, the benefit of that is uh, you have your amortization of let's say 25 years, but your you know you have maybe uh, one mortgage that's on a one-year term, one mortgage that's on a three-year term, one mortgage that's on a five-year term. So the and they're at different interest rates, and some of them might be variable or fixed depending on your risk level. Now the benefit of that is your entire mortgage never renews at the same time. Yep, it renews in thirds at different points in time. Now a lot of a lot of people are are in a pickle right now because they took a mortgage at 2%, now the rates are at 5 or 6%, and they're coming up to the end of their term, maybe a five or six-year term. Now they're renewing from 2% to 5%. They're like, oh my word, look at the, my payments are gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. But if you put two or three mortgages on your house under a plan, then you have the opportunity to never have to worry about everything renewing at once. Mm-hmm. You also could consider maybe a private mortgage with a family member mixed with a bank mortgage, but you have to sort of sort that that sort of thing out in terms of what's what's legal. So that's just an idea. That's just an example. Your bank may not offer that, but that's an example of like asking probing questions, doing a little bit of your research, yeah. and it really helps you. I've also talked to a few couples that are like, "Oh, we're renting. We're throwing money away on rent." Not necessarily. Okay, so let's just let's just be careful there. When you're renting, you're not necessarily throwing money away on rent. So think about this. If a house in your area costs, let's say, $400,000, and you have to save up a 5% down payment, so you have to save up 20 grand, and that um, uh, you know bank accepts that. Give us 20 grand, we'll give you a you know $400,000 mortgage. If you could make the payments on a $380,000 mortgage, a ton load of that is interest, and you need to know print off an amortization yep. schedule. How much of my my monthly payment is going to my principal, which is a reduction of the actual value of the house, versus the interest? And what you'll discover is in the first little while, roughly one-third of your money is going to the principal and two-thirds are going to interest. Mm-hmm. Well, if that interest amount is equal to or less than the rent you're paying, you're actually saving money by renting. Mm-hmm. So you might be paying 1000 bucks, 1500 bucks in rent, but if your interest on a house is greater than a thousand or fifteen hundred a month, well, you're actually you should actually rent longer to save up more money because when you buy the house, your yeah. your um, owed amount is is less. So these are just things for people to think about until they're told they often it just often doesn't cross people's minds. Mm-hmm. If you can also save up a bit more of a down payment, your rent is dirt cheap. 
then you can avoid what are called the CMHC, the Canadian Mortgage and Housing uh, Corporation fees. They will charge you a premium, and they're much more than when we first started out. Mm -hmm. They will charge you a premium, an extra fee to ensure in case you know you default, you, you, yeah. you default on your mortgage. Now the banks want the banks often want to sell you on the 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 monthly amount. So if you're a financial stooge and you just walk in, you're like, I, I, I want to buy a house and I can afford $3,000 a month. They're like, cha-ching, okay, we're going to sell this guy any product mm -hmm. that we can give him that will, he's willing to pay up to $3,000 a month. And they may sell you a product like um, you know, a variable rate in a, in a, in a time that's uh, volatile, and that's, that's that's unwise. A lot of people took variable rates recently, and you know, then the mortgage rates went through the roof, and their their payments went through the mm -hmm. roof. But if you come in and you, you know you sort of negotiate a little bit, and you 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 start um, uh, using their language and, and demonstrating. Well, actually, I'd like to look at um, you know maybe a, a home equity plan. I'd like to look at setting up uh, you know multiple mortgages. I want I want variable terms. They say, hey, we, we have this great deal at uh, 5%. Well, you know what? I, th I think I could probably do four and a half. You're saving money. Mm -hmm. um, in the latter years of our um, uh, financial negotiations with our bank, sometimes I'd be, I'd be the guy educating the young banker who'd yeah. be like 20 years younger than me. I'd be like, yeah, that's not how it works, bro. This is, this is what I want. Oh, we can't do that. Yeah, you can. Uh, no, we don't, that's against bank policy. No, you'll do it if you want my business. That's that's what I'm offering you. Yeah. Like you just negotiate. Yeah. Yeah. You play hardball. You don't need to be a jerk. But they actually sometimes laugh and realize, oh, this is this is a guy that's actually playful and wants to have some fun with us. Yeah. So if back to our illustration though, just to kind of help people see this, if you just go buy a house for four hundred grand, five percent interest, you throw five percent down. Over twenty five years, you're going to pay. $301,000 just in compounding interest. Oh, yikes. So you've now paid $701,000 for the house. Now, that's unavoidable. Mortgage does, uh, money does inflate. So they loan you four hundred grand today. They can't charge you no interest because in 25 years, that that four hundred grand is worth less than, four, you know, it, it would be worth in 25 years. So they have to pay their corporate expenses. It is their money they're lending you. Um, money does uh, you know, inflate, which means it, its buying power decreases. So you, it's, it's fair to pay people interest to the tune minimally of the you know, deflationary value of the money. But um, the point is just know what you're talking about. Go in and, and understand the basic aspects of mortgage. And then think this way. Every dollar you spend on something else that you don't need before you buy a house, every, every dollar you spend on a trip, on eating out, every dollar you spend on anything you don't need before you buy a mortgage is a dollar you will eventually pay interest on once you buy a house. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I spent 25 bucks on a pizza. No, you didn't. You spent 25 bucks on that pizza plus the fact that you couldn't put that 25 bucks on your future or current mortgage means that you are paying the interest equivalent on that 25 bucks mm -hmm. because you could have paid down your principal by 25 more dollars and saved that 5% interest compounded annually over 25 years. You probably just buy yourself a $50 pizza, mm -hmm. right? Or something like that. Yeah. 
So that, that helps people to think a little bit different. Every dollar you spend on something else is marked up by the current interest rate because it compounds. So that $1,000 phone that you bought because you just had to have it because your neighbor has it, because your friend has it, because your cool friends who aren't really all that cool because they're broke and live off of debt have one, that's costing you 5% over the next 25 years. Mm-hmm. So when you buy a home, let's say you save up, you're ruthless, you save up, you buy that home. Then once you get you know, the curtains hung, repairs done, kind of get settled in, maybe that'll take you a year or two, I would encourage looking at doubling your payments. You can double your payments. Some banks will allow you to put 10 or 15% lump sums on every year. You get an income tax return, you throw it down. Mm-hmm. You can increase your payments. You can pay weekly, which means you're knocking down principal faster because in that one week period, the interest is accruing at a slower rate than it is over a month, right? Mm-hmm. You can renew early if the rates change, watch the, watch the market. If yep. you have a five-year term and your bank says, hey, um, you can renew up to 90 days early before my term comes up and suddenly they have a killer deal that's less than what you're paying now, say, so, yeah, I want to I want to renew. We did that several times. I want to renew yep. early yep. to lock into a, a lower rate. And then a move as little as possible. It's expensive. That's true. Uh, we moved a lot. Never thought much about it, but later I'm like, man, like you're sometimes you're paying realty fees. Sometimes we sold private. Sometimes um, with a realtor. Generally, selling private, uh, it's easier than you think. The problem is you you often don't get the the dollar figure. You mm-hmm. underestimate the value of your house. So we've sold a few houses privately and and some with real real estate agents. I'm not sure I one was necessarily better than the other, that's up mm. to you. Um, but when you move, even if you try hard, you're gonna have legal fees, uh, land transfer taxes in Canada at least, you're gonna have um, uh, lawyer's expenses, mm-hmm. just moving expenses, oh, there's no uh, there's no curtains on this bedroom. It costs money to to move. Uh, mortgage insurance, the bank will will try to sell you mortgage insurance. You know, what if you die? What if you get disabled? Well, they're, they're their mortgage insurance, which is generally some sort of a life insurance policy uh, or accident policy, will generally, the premiums on that will be more money than if you just go to a uh, mm-hmm. an outside broker and say, look, I got a $300,000 mortgage. If I die tomorrow, I don't want my wife to be stuck, you know, not being able to pay it. So I want $300,000 in term life insurance yep. that disappears once the mortgage is paid off. By the way, again, some financial advisors can argue the point as you grow older, you might think, well, I need more life insurance because I'm closer to death. No, you need less. Like you don't need life insurance if your kids are raised, your house is paid off, and you have money in the bank. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I but I want to be able to provide my kids with a big lump sum. Okay, that that's a want, but that's not a need. Mm-hmm. You need life insurance, in my view, uh, you know, not as one of those three basic yep. um, necessities of life, but it's wise to have life insurance during your most vulnerable years and you have the greatest number of dependents mm-hmm. and the least amount of equity in your home. That's yep. the time to have life insurance. But in my view, your life insurance should peter off to nothing. So the, by the time you're dead, let's say you die at 80, why do you need life insurance? Yep. You have an estate now. You have money saved up. You have a paid off house. Maybe you've even pre-inherited some money to your kids, et cetera. Um, do not, t- so I would just recommend if you're going to uh, put uh, um, insurance on your mortgage, get it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It'll save yep. you money. Yep. Also, 
Do not remortgage your house unless your life is in complete shambles. Do not remortgage your house. Yeah. Too many people, well, you know what? I want to buy a car, so I'm going to remortgage your house. You are taking money out of your, mo- your most valuable physical asset. You're basically taking that principal back out, which you already paid interest on. Mm-hmm. You're buying something with it. Now you're going to pay interest on that all over again. So if you're going to do renovations, I'm not a big fan. Again, it's your business. You can do what you want. But my advice is do not touch your capital. Do not touch the principal that you have paid off in your house. Uh, We'll want to put an addition on. Save up for it. Mm -hmm. Or take a loan elsewhere, but I'm not even in favor of that unless it's absolutely necessary. Live within your means. Allow that um, mortgage to be paid off. If you've had a mortgage for more than 25 years, there's a problem Mm because that's the normal amortization. Most people should be able to pay their mortgage off in less than that. Uh, I know people that are 70 that still have mortgages because they keep remortgaging, remortgaging, mm-hmm. or going through divorce after divorce. Pay your house off. Be ruthless. Pay the thing off. Mm-hmm. You're paying more interest every year than you than you need to. Um, and then I'm going to end with uh, uh, one very non-traditional wisdom point, which again, maybe financial investors will, will bristle at, but again, I'm, I'm just thinking very practically for, for people. I don't see the sense of putting money into savings if your house is not paid off. I don't see the, mo- the benefit of putting funds into all sorts of investments if your house is not paid off. You're like, well, Aaron, you know, the, the interest rate on mortgages is less than what I'm earning in the stock market. I know. I know that that is often the case. It's not always the case. But on a very practical level, let's just talk about safety and security. What positions a person for greater pushback in the company that they're in that's pushing them toward wokeism to compromise their values? What 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 helps a person to feel more secure during times of recession or economic downturn or job loss than having their house paid off? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you might be able to make more money in the stock market, but it's not just about earning interest. That's not the, the, the thing that we should be focusing the prime, uh, prime amount of our attention on. Pay off your debt. Mm-hmm. So this is the way Susie and I did it. Maybe we could have made some more money in the stock market or whatever. Our primary, our primary concern in our 30s and 40s is pay, 20s, 30s, and 40s, pay that house off. Mm-hmm. Pay it off. Pay that thing off. Not be putting all, we put a little bit in RSPs and that, but just for tax purposes. But your main thing is to pay your house off. You pay that thing off. So, uh, if, if you can pay that off in your, even in your 30s, some people could pay it off in their 30s, early 40s. You don't now have a 20 or 30 year runway to save up more money, maybe invest in other property, real estate, rental properties, or you know, yep. RSPs or mutual funds or whatever. So non-traditional wisdom not a fan of people saving up a whole bunch of money in one envelope if they still owe money to someone else in another envelope. Hmm. Uh, the, re- the returns may be a little bit better depending on who you invest with, but there's an, an aspect of peace of mind here. Mm-hmm. And just getting yourself to a point where you do not owe anybody anything except mm-hmm. for the monthly hydro bill. And mm-hmm. I think there's wisdom um, in that. So yeah. hopefully that stimulates thinking. Uh, maybe, maybe you have some thoughts you'd like to add at the end. You're welcome to do that. But if um, if you don't know how to organize a budget, maybe find someone in your church and help uh, ask them to help you with that. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of stewardship, and it also uh, protects you somewhat from downturns in the economy, from 
the tyrant state manipulating you and from your employer manipulating you into trying to do things you don't want to do that are contrary to your your um, your spiritual values mm-hmm. one thing I, I have as a question follow up to that savings discussion what pl- value do you place on an emergency fund and what amount do you say is reasonable to protect yourself against having to go and refinance your mortgage because oh the the washing machine broke yeah, having a bit of an emergency fund is is important uh, for people. Um, uh, I don't think more than a few thousand dollars. I know again, it's 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 contrary to conventional wisdom. But why would I have ten, fifteen, twenty grand in an emergency fund if I still owe the bank three hundred grand? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So, uh, what's what's the worst that can happen? The furnace blows up. Okay. So calculate the cost of a furnace in the winter and have that ready to go. Yeah. Um, there's a, what's the most expensive repair? Like every car can be repaired, yep. but sometimes it's not worth it. But what's the most expensive repair that could possibly happen to my vehicle? Mm-hmm. So figure what that figure out what that number is, depending on what kind of a vehicle you drive, yep. and maybe have that amount saved up. Mm-hmm. But what you don't need to do is have an emergency fund saved up that covers a furnace, plus a car, plus a new roof, yeah. plus the windows get smashed, plus this, plus that, plus this. And you got tens of thousands of dollars saved up someplace, and you owe the bank hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if, assuming you have some friends, uh, some family around you, if for some reason there was some radical, unexpected expense, yep. and you were stewarding your money well, and you you absolutely, you know, you blew through your emergency fund, and you needed more. Maybe talk to a friend, talk to a member of your church. Say, hey, you know, I've stewarded my money well. My my mode of operation has always been to pay my mortgage off, just have peace of mind and be unindebted. You know, I had five, 10 grand in the bank, but I have a $15,000 unexpected. Okay, can I borrow a few bucks? Okay, that's different, yep. right? And I'm not opposed to people lending. Um, uh, Christians should lend money uh, at no interest, except that, except that there has to be some interest if it's a long-term like if they're lending you five thousand bucks for a week, they, they shouldn't be charging you interest on yep. that. If they're lending you five thousand bucks for a year, mm-hmm. okay, well, you need to at least calculate how much they're losing by giving you their five thousand dollars on inflation. So That's if right. you're paying them enough interest to at least cover their inflation, they're not actually making a dime. That's right. If you're taking their money and reinvesting it and making funds off of it, well, then you owe them not only the inflationary value but a portion of the. Uh, the the funds right. that you're benefiting from. So I, I'm not a, a, a strictest when it comes to um, uh, the idea of not paying interest to another Christian. There used to be some considerations uh, taken that didn't mm-hmm. during the biblical era. There wasn't such a thing as inflation year by year. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so a bit of a, a bit of an emergency fund. But some people have too big of a nest egg. They they live in fear and they just don't think about their their mortgage. And I, I just think it's a, a, a wonderful thing to get all your debts paid off, and then you're you're freed up to spend uh, you know the, the the later years of your life um, saving for retirements or you know helping your kids out or giving more to capital funds at churches or Christian ministries and that sort of thing. Yeah. It is so fascinating to me as you think the biblical idea of he who gathers little by little sees it grow yeah. or, you know, you're faithful with little, you're entrusted with much. It actually works with the way finances work as well and investment. Yeah. Like if you're faithful, the decisions you make in your 20s are almost more important financially than the decisions in your 70s because of the impact on the rest of your life. 
There's actually uh, a direct correlation, too, between financial stewardship and the stewardship of your whole life. The Bible often uh, connects um, money and uh, the heart. And, um, you know, the, the Bible talks about money being the root of all, all kinds of evil. There's always a connection there between money is your is your, one of your primary. It, think of it as your 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 physical stewardship of your possessions, whether it's money or assets. The way you spend your, the way you um, care for your physical assets, which you don't own, but you do steward them and legally you own them, under God reflects your heart. So, when people have disordered lives. It's almost always reflected in their 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 pocketbook. Either they they have massive debt, or even they're extremely stingy. Because that can be the other side of the mm-hmm. equation. Yep. People that save every single dime, don't give any of it away, but they're miserable and they they're um, angry all the time, and they're uh, you know oftentimes accommodating for some sort of trauma they went through as a child or some sort of financial difficulties, and their relationships suffer. So there needs mm-hmm. to be, again, that's why at the beginning I said generosity is important as well. But anyway, the, the point yeah, I want to make is good. that the way you spend your money is usually a direct correlation how ordered or disordered your, your life is. Mm-hmm. And if you if you have to buy the, the latest and great, greatest gadget, well, generally there's an identity issue you need to deal with. Mm-hmm. Your... your um, uh, values don't actually align with the values of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. If you're overly stingy, there's another problem. So, you know, we want to think about how we want to think about money, ju- not just so we can get ahead and be, you know, freedom fifty fivers, yep. but we need to think of our um, our uh, money as a bit of a thermometer for how hot or cold our relationship is with with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Good word. Well, thanks, Aaron. I appreciate you uh, giving those ideas on how to live on less. And hopefully our listeners take that to heart. One special announcement for this week is that our Beachhead Media app, our mobile app, is now live in the Apple and Google stores. Right on. And so, yeah, go ahead and download that and you'll be able to get this content as well as we're hoping to add some more as well in the coming days. So some good resources there for you. We're also over on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network and other platforms like Spotify, Apple, everywhere else. Aaron, you want to yeah, more? Yeah, and I just want to let people know the reason why we're starting the the, the Beachhead Media app is we want to we want to create a, a platform for primarily Canadian content. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be limiting it, so there's just a, 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 a few uh, resources on there right now. Um, if you are a Christian leader, like you already have a platform, so the, the pot our our Beachhead Media app is not just for great Christians that have a lot of wonderful things to say. You know, God bless those that are uh, ministering to others in that means, but we have to, there's only so many apps, there's only so many podcasts we can put on there. So for now, we're limiting it to people who have a viable podcast that, that is produced on a regular basis, who is like a Christian leader of a ministry, a seminary, who has a proven tracker, who already has an, an audience, mm-hmm. a following. This is another platform that we want to make available to those of you in Canada. And certainly, I think those living in other parts of the world that listen to our program will benefit from it as well. But I wanted to kind of put that little plug in there so people are like, why, why would you start another um, yep. app when there's there's FLF and there's you know Spotify and there's all sorts of other things. So that, that's why we're doing it, for to be able to give you more uh, Canadian content 
Um, yep. There's also some music on there that you can listen to, some original music that has been written by people in our church. Um, but it's going to, in the next little bit, we're going to, Lord willing, have some other podcasters on there from other parts of the country. Yep, good stuff. So you can help us out by sharing that app out, sharing the podcast, rating it as usual, and telling a friend about it. So, And then hopefully you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. Thank you.